Welcome to this week's episode of Everyday Thin Places. I'm Rachel Gallagher, and I'm an interfaith hospice chaplain. And I'm Elizabeth Ferrasso, and I'm a birth doula. And in each episode of Everyday Thin Places, we draw from our experiences supporting birthing people and dying people to explore with honesty, authenticity, and humor how we can all become more truly living people. All right, today we have the privilege of sharing a conversation with David Richman, who, among many, many impressive physical accomplishments, is the author of a book called Cycle of Lives. And so first, just to acknowledge these amazing physical accomplishments, David has completed over 50 triathlons, including 15 Ironman distance triathlons. More than 50 runs, longer than marathon distance, including several 24-hour runs. One such 24-hour run was running 85 miles in Mexico in the heat of summer, and another one involved running 104 miles straight from Santa Barbara to Manhattan Beach. Uh, But I think it's the why behind these physical feats that makes us so interested in talking with David. And in particular, we're going to be talking with David in order to hear more about this book that he's written, Cycle of Lives. And he paired the research for this book with a cross-country 4,700-mile bike ride, interviewing 15 people along the way. And we just can't wait to hear more about it. So welcome to Everyday Thin Places, David Richmond. Thank you both, Rachel and Elizabeth. Very happy to talk to you. Thank you. Well, David, I think that we definitely want to talk about this book. You have such an interesting and compelling story about how you were able to connect with interesting and compelling people in order to share their stories. And so I'd love to hear kind of where this idea came from. What was your journey like? Um, And how did this book, Cycle of Lives, come to be? Well, thank you, Rachel. Um, so, uh, where the idea was planted, I have to unpack the story a little bit. I'll try to keep it short, but where the story started was that I, um, had, I I was in a really bad place personally. Um, at one moment in time, I was like overweight. I was a smoker. I was not real happy at, at, in my work life, my personal life I was uh, married to an abusive alcoholic I had four-year-old twins I had to get us out of there it was getting very dangerous Um, I had just like all these negative things going on and then I get a call from my sister saying hey I've got terminal brain cancer you know we need to we need to talk and she had you know husband and two young kids and great job and friends and whatever and it was just like man that's a really low point of, of all of this negative stuff and so um, so, so the, the short, the story that isn't directly answering your question is at, at that time when I had that like low point in my life and where I was just like, I, I'm either going to have to reinvent myself for me or I'm going to, I'm going to end up dying, right? I'm, I'm smoking, I'm overweight, I'm not happy, I'm stressed out. It's just, it's just terrible. So uh, I decided to start doing, uh, becoming athletic. So I said, put down the cigarettes start eating healthy, start getting in shape, you know, get your kids to safety, which I did, um, and just just figure out who you want to be and start focusing on you. So that was like 
the, the, the different answer to the question, but that was one start of the story. Mm-hmm. Then when it came to the other side of the story, um, as I was developing this appetite for doing endurance athletics and changing my internal dialogue and my internal narrative and what I thought about myself and what I could do and becoming more positive and optimistic about the future, uh, my sister was going through this end of life issues where she was going to have to leave her kids behind and her husband and her friends and, and, you know, and, and, you know, work and all the things that she was hoping to reach at this optimistic end of time was, was not going to happen. And near the end of her battle, I don't know, you, you probably know this, Rachel, the Relay for Life, the American Cancer Society's Relay for Life yeah. was taking place and uh, in, in near, where, near where June lived. And um, she had made a promise. She goes, like, dude, the last thing that I really want to do is to park myself in a tent, lay down in a lounge chair, I don't care how sick I am, and I want to be there for the whole 24 hours to watch everybody cheer on, mm. you know, in my, in my uh, you know, on my behalf. And I said, man, you are really sick. Like, it's not going to happen. And she says, oh, it's going to happen. I promise you. And I said, all right, well, if you commit to being there, I'll commit to running the whole 24 hours. And she said, done. So the sad thing is she died like two days before. Mm -hmm. And so she didn't get to make it to the Relay for Life. But I went there and um, with my kids and a bunch of friends and her friends and family came. And we did the whole 24 hours. And I stayed on the track for the whole 24 hours. And I realized that that time that people were not real good about talking about the emotional side of their journey. And that kind of, I said I was going to keep the answer short. Here I am monologuing. But the, this is perfect. The, um, <laughs> they, that um, that um, planted the seed for why is it that people have difficulty dealing with the emotional side? Like they could talk about... How do I get my dog fed Why I'm out of town in a freaking emergency room for three days? Who's going to watch my kids while I'm in the chemo chair? How do I navigate in- insurance at work, time off at work? How do I eat better? How do I get meals sent to me? These kind of things they were good about dealing with, but the emotional side, they did not know how to deal with either internally or with others. And so I said, um, how can I how can I have an impact in that? How can I, how can I try to explore that? And maybe change that whole dynamic. So that's what was what was the start of the project. So you did reach out to people then, and you're getting your book is exploring some of this emotional journey of what people going through cancer or supporting family members going through cancer, um, exploring that emotional side. How I'm curious how you. Um, found the people to talk to, decided uh, what kind of stories to tell and how to connect with people? How did, how did you, you know, figure out who you were going to speak with for this book? Sure. It's a great question. And, and I put a lot of thought into Elizabeth because um, like for me writing books and I've written like, you know, half a dozen books and I got a bunch more I'm, I'm, I'm working on. Uh, for me, the thought kind of process needs to marinate because I I find if I get a good idea and I get sparked into action, it kind of fades a little bit. But if I let it build, it it really has some legs. And I thought to myself over time, I said, what would be like indicative of a good, if it were me reading it, what would move me to understand this issue better? And for me, it it was, I wanted um, diversity. 
And so I thought, well, what, what would give a really good 360 view of this whole emotional journey with cancer? So one, I needed people of all different ages. I wanted to talk about the uh, different uh, di- types of cancer because a book about 15 people with breast cancer is different than a book about 15 people with brain cancer, right? Mm-hmm. They're very, very different. Um, so different ages, different types of cancer, different severity because um, there is no lessening of the, the nervousness, the trepidation, the fear, the uncertainty of the fear of cancer is just as strong as, as actually being diagnosed with cancer. So I, I, I know that there's no difference. You can't judge somebody's reactions and somebody's um, reality that's associated with, with cancer, no matter the, the level of, of severity. I wanted a w- wide range of emotions so uh, some people uh, had fear, anger, desolation, desperation, happiness, if you can imagine that. Um, so there were all these different emotions. And then I, I, you know, I also wanted people who had been like a one and done, like they dealt with cancer one time and that was just part of their narrative. Or maybe it was they were an oncologist for 40 years and I wanted to have put their emotions into context for what they've seen over those 40 years as an oncologist or, uh, you know, like somebody like Jen who lost her dad to uh, lymphoma when she was six and it kind of framed her vision of the world and what she wanted to accomplish. So it, it was, that's a lifelong kind of effects in, in, of the cancer thing. So that's what my 360 view was. So what I did, Elizabeth, was I called up cancer centers and hospitals and I said hey do you know anybody that has an interesting story I asked friends I told them to ask friends of friends I I just talked to everybody and I said this is what I'm looking for and so if you can imagine a wheel the cycle right cycle of lives a wheel is cut into a bunch of different sectors everybody that I talked to I tried to see could I fill in as many of those sectors as possible and for me as a reader I thought I would be more touched and um, inspired to understand what people had gone through or what they were going through if I could see it from all those different angles. So I really wanted, like I find one person's story interesting, but I find 15 different stories way more interesting because it just shines a tiny bit of a different light on on, on the subject. Yeah. So just so I'm sure we don't like miss the, the step and the explanation explanation for our listeners so to get to these 15 people i was explaining this to my children on our car ride home that Mm -hmm. you had 15 people that you wanted to interview for these stories and they were all across the united states and to get to these people you didn't hop on a plane you didn't you know take a bus you didn't i asked my kids i was like do you know how we got there they said did he run i said no he didn't run (laughs) i just they were so impressed with hearing about your you know running for 24 hours but that you so you biked across the united states this 4700 mile journey in order Mm -hmm. to um, get to each one of these people that you spoke with and, and to share their stories. So that's the, so we can put all those pieces together. This cycle of lives yeah. is you cycled to share the life, the life story of all these people. Yeah. So, so you're right. So uh, it's actually kind of started out a little gimmicky, right? So um, when I had this idea of this kind of cycle of life, different emotions, different ages, different traumas, whatever. And, if you think about it, um, what my goal was, was not to talk about the trauma of cancer 
as a patient, a caregiver, a loved one, a doctor, whatever. It was to talk about point A is when they encountered cancer as a middle schooler going to a hospital field trip or as a parent whose son got cancer or something. So that was point A. Point B is today. Um, that emotional journey, how are they able to or not able to take it or deal with it in relation to all the previous traumas that they had experienced? And so I wanted to talk about this emotional journey. We got all these different sectors in the cycle of lives. And then I interviewed everybody, Elizabeth, for a couple of years. Wow. And I thought to myself, like, if we're all connected by emotion and we're all connected by story and this is a cycle of lives and I want to connect all these stories, I, I again, kind of gimmicky. I'm like, oh, what better way to connect them than to, like, get on my bike and ride to them and I would be the yeah. thread that connects the stories together. Mm. And so um, many of the people I hadn't met ever live, I talked to them on the phone for a couple of years, really gotten super, super close and super deep into their stories. But I thought, ah, well, I'll just connect them. And so I was the in between each story, which is not told with me in it. It's, it's first person from their perspective or third person from their perspective. Um, so each one of those is a self-contained story. And then in between each story is a little bit of a narrative that's like an outro from each story, an intro to the next story, and a tiny little narrative about my story and kind of uh, how I didn't fully um, process the emotions of my sister's cancer mm -hmm. and kind of made that the 16th story, as it were. Mm -hmm. I have so many thoughts. <laughs> I'm like trying to keep track of them so I don't lose any of them. I love your commitment to diversity, and I think that this book can be so powerful and meaningful for for anyone, really, um, because everyone has been touched by cancer in some way. But I'm thinking about my own personal story as someone who was diagnosed with cancer at age 24, not really having anyone personally close to me in my life who had gone through something similar, I could see this being such a good resource. And I love that it's not full of stories where everybody's just happy and positive and, and you know, sugarcoating things. And it's not full of doom and gloom either. There's, you know, a, a sto everyone's story is different. And that's something that I often will say. So, I'm a cancer survivor. I've worked in hospice. I work with an older population. And when I encounter someone who has cancer or has a history of a cancer diagnosis, I will often say it's different for every single person. So I just so appreciate that you got that and that you brought that out throughout the thread of the book. Mm -hmm. um, I do wonder, though, if there are any themes that you did see come up multiple times. Was there any recurring themes that were common throughout different stories? Sure. And, th and thank you for that. I mean, that's really good insight. And especially at 24, I don't want to assume anything, but, but young adults really have um, another perspective and experience that is uh, really unique and oftentimes extra traumatic because you go to the cancer ward and everybody's super old or super young, right? And you're worrying about, oh my gosh, I'm putting my career on hold while my friends are just embarking on things, right? Am I ever going to have kids? Are they worried about my fertility issues? Is anybody t you know, talking to me about things that matter to a young adult? It's a very unique and really mysterious place because 
you know, you look to your left and somebody's 80 years old in the chemo chair and you look to your right and somebody is six years old. And it's like, man, I don't have anything in common with either one of these people. So everybody's story is unique and everybody's journey is different. And the other thing you touched on is, you know, whether or not um, everything is so heavy or whatever. Like every story, everybody's life has highs and lows, right? Everybody's life has highs and lows. We all go through unbelievably difficult things at different times in our life and to hide from that I don't think is fair and especially if you're trying to form deeper connections with people um, especially about something as mysterious and kind of sorry to say it this way but off-putting as dealing with somebody's uh, somebody who has a cancer diagnosis that you care about because it's like ah I don't want to deal with that I'm going to say the wrong thing I'm going to be an idiot I don't know whatever right and so Oftentimes these lows, especially if it's around cancer and the emotional issues that come with that are oftentimes like pushed away and we, 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 we abandon people and they're isolated. It's, that's one of the themes to answer your question that came through is that, hey, everybody thinks it's a negative, which oftentimes tough things are negative, but they can also be inspirational and lead to transformation and lead to bonding and lead to shifting our lives and they can all oftentimes lead to really great things negatives i'll, I'll give you a, a an example at a moment but um you know so it can be inspirational it can be uh, you know moving in a positive way even if it's even if it's tough stories right but that was one of the common themes was abandonment and isolation so i didn't have anybody to talk to or I didn't know that I could talk to anybody the way that I really wanted to. I, I, for whatever reason. So that was that was a common theme. Another common theme, which I found fascinating, um, was that no matter how incredible I found everybody's story, in the end, in the beginning, when I was starting to talk to them, every single person said, ah, "I don't know why you want to talk to me. My story is not that interesting," because uh, it taught me. That everybody's just living their lives. They're just doing what they do. They're, they're, it's their reality. You can never look through somebody's eyes or into their heart or into their mind to really understand what's going on. And really, everybody's just doing the best they can. Some do better than others based on our measurements, but they, they're just doing the best they can. So they don't find it interesting because they're not looking at themselves the way that we are. And so I really find that uh, humbling and I find it... Um, very inspiring that you can learn from people who because i don't like learning from people who know the answers to every question i like learning from people who are trying to figure things out just like like i am and Mm -hmm. when you go through something traumatic like cancer i'm sure you you can identify with this rachel you get to answer questions you never even knew you had Mm -hmm. right about life about your existence about what you're made of about who cares about you i mean there's a million questions that you never would have asked yourself and so really is a can be a learning journey and even if it's negative you can really find out a lot and grow and transform and set the foundation for for a more purposeful life there can be a lot of good things that come from it yeah so david you said that the you know the intros and the outros between each one of these stories is a little bit about your journey of your actual 3,700 or 4,700. Sorry, I shorted you a thousand. Yeah, really? 4,700 <laughs> miles on your, on your bike going and visiting these people. Um, mm-hmm. And you said, you know, some of the processing of losing your sister 
happened there? How first thing I'm curious, like how much time had passed, you know, before you were making these new discoveries of what you needed to process? And I'm curious like I, I'm just so astounded that you made this huge life change of being sedentary and smoking to like being someone who is accomplishing physical feats that I can't even imagine doing. But it sounds like I would I would guess that maybe you are finding even on a journey like this 4,700 miles that as you're processing grief, you're probably tapped into some wisdom of things that were important and things that have maybe even changed your life from that journey as more as much as someone could change more after you know making such a dramatic change will you tell us about that about how that journey impacted you and what tell us your best wisdom that you have that you've gleaned Uh, from that i don't know i don't know if it's wisdom but i'll tell you it's kind of funny is that I, i embarked on this ride uh hoping I hope for a few things, right? I was really excited to meet the people I'd spoke to because I thought it would be very emotional to meet them, and it was. And I and mm-hmm. it was very rewarding. I'm, you know, I'm sure both ways. That was one thing. The other thing I hoped is I love this idea of trying to push yourself as far as you can and then going harder so you can learn more and more about yourself. So I was wondering, as hard as it was going to be and as much difficulty as I was going to encounter, because I was going like I planned to go 120 miles a day for. 45 days mm. i mean that's it's a lot of biking that's a lot of biking it's a lot of hours i knew it was going to be really difficult and i like the idea of uh being the chooser of the difficult task mm. because then you're doing it for yourself and if somebody had said hey i'd like you to go bike 4700 miles and i'll give you a year off that might not be enough incentive or if they said i'll give you a million bucks to do it that might not be enough incentive or if they I don't know what the incentive anybody would give me to do it that would motivate me, but for me to figure out what I could accomplish, that was a huge motivator, right? Like, can can I do this? And, um, you know, the other thing is, is it was a surprise, was how I hadn't fully processed what was going on with my sister. And it took me a long time to realize, I think I was about, Rachel, about in Florida when, when I, when I finally, it finally hit me. And that was that I had long grieved her her death. She had died about uh, 10 years before. Okay, So she had been dead for about 10 years. And I had long felt comfortable. We had tons of talks along the way. We reconciled a lot of stuff. We did all this great, you know, this great communicating. And I really felt, you know, very close to her before she died. And um, over the years, I had done some events to raise money for the cancer center. And I felt like we were close. And... You know, um, my kids and I have this little kind of thing where every time we see ones, you know, 11, 11, 1, 1, 1, it's like, it's like her talking to us or something. It's really very cool. So that part of it was pretty settled. But what I found that I hadn't grieved was I carry around a lot of angst, maybe even sometimes a little bit of anger about my childhood and, you know, some of the issues that I had to go through as a child and um, you know I didn't had never grieved that the only person that knew that kid the only person that knew what I was Mm. going through is gone and so it was definitely when I realized that I realized that it was the loneliness that I hadn't dealt with now I was not lonely I have a beautiful wife I have beautiful kids I have beautiful friends there's you know beautiful house but my life's great I'm not lonely like that 
but that kind of like man like nobody knows the crap that I went through as a kid as she did mm-hmm. and so I hadn't grieved that and I think um, you can't compare any kind of loss to any other kind of loss it just is what it is but the loss of your only sibling if you raised with a tough childhood is like yeah I had to grieve the fact that yeah nobody knew me as the kid you know, yeah. nobody nobody cared about me the way she did, and so, um, you know, I had to kind of come to terms with that. And the bike ride gave me the opportunity to do that because, I, I mean, Elizabeth, you got four kids, right? You don't get a whole lot of free time, right? If you, I mean, right? Yeah. Every once yeah. in a while, you just want a minute to think about things. Mm-hmm. Just give me twenty minutes, right? Lock yourself mm-hmm. in a room, give me twenty minutes. You can't solve life's problems in twenty minutes, right? So selfishly i was able to be on a bike for hours and hours and hours and hours week after week after week um every day um uh and that gives you time to solve those problems or at least deal with them yeah yeah and i i it would be remiss to not like try to pull some connection to birth and all this because i always have to in some way but you know what what you said about when you're pushed to your limits and you have to give more than what you think you have, and then you discover things about yourself that takes you forward in life in different ways. To me, that's, you know, that's the power of birth, that birth requires of the body more than the person going through it thinks that they have, but their only way forward is through. Um, and I mean, most people find themselves on, you know, in labor, there, there's not a, there's not a point at which they could like you know call up um, call someone to just rescue them out of it like I guess if you technically had wanted at some point to say like someone else come get the bike I'm you know hopping an airplane <laughs> home you could have but that um, I think it's so beautiful to have chosen that um, and all that you were able to um, experience and learn. I think you're so right that it can only be learned when you choose it for yourself and when you when you say I'm going to I'm going to push the limits and see what there is and and even that you found something so beautiful out of that solitude and um I think Rachel's going to probably I'm not going to steal her thunder with her question um and you already mentioned the isolation factor of cancer but I think that the the flip side or, or the beautiful transformation of what could be experienced as isolation can sometimes be experienced as a gift of solitude. And I, I love that you're sharing the wisdom that you received from those times of solitude, um, that we have this, this book and these stories that you told because you took that journey. Yeah, I had a thank you for that. I had a talk over the weekend with a with a, a newly found friend, twenty five year old kid who was going through some pretty rough stuff. Very amazing guy, uh, but he was going through some some pretty rough stuff, and he had to. He kept telling me, "Oh, you need to forgive this person. You need to forgive that person." And uh, okay, may, maybe so. Like, like sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, I, you know. Maybe I'm not evolved enough, but I gave him this analogy, and I discovered this analogy on the on, on the on the bike ride. So in my garage, my kids and I went to New York when they were like nine. They're like 23 now, twins, right? And we went to New York when they were like nine, and we walked into this puzzle store. And this puzzle, there's an 18,000 piece puzzle. Wow. Okay, imagine that six foot by nine foot puzzle. Okay, so 18,000 feet, it's like 
this old war map, well, old world map, six by nine foot, eighteen thousand piece puzzle. Wow! And here we are, fifteen years later, and I haven't touched it. Right? I have no way could I open it. I don't even have a table big enough to put a six by. How do you lay out the puzzle pieces for six by nine feet? A whole so, garage, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to build this huge table. It's going to come down from the ceiling in the garage, and as we have people over and people staying at the house and friends or whatever, we can wheel it down, and then everybody can put a couple pieces together, and it's like this. And I'm having this dream in my head, like, oh, my God, for like a 10-year period, like hundreds of people are going to help me put together this 18,000-piece puzzle. And it's going to kind of be like everybody's a part of my life and everybody's coming in and out. I'm a part of theirs and everybody gets a little piece and it's all personal. And I'm going, oh, my God, that puzzle is like my life. And then I go, well, what if I went through this beautiful 10-year period and all of my friends are helping me and family and loved ones and kids and all that, all that and everybody's putting it in and you're laughing and you're crying over the whole puzzle and then we get to the end and we realize we're like 15 pieces short. I mean, what am I going to do? Am I going <laughs> to go, it was all not worth it? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to say, you know what, sometimes the puzzle box it doesn't have all the pieces in it, you know? And so I, I, I kind of was able to at least start the process of forgiving myself and forgiving others for having those missing pieces, Mm -hmm. for having those Mm -hmm. wrong things. And because it really isn't about having a perfect little puzzle filled in all perfectly edges and life doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your life has missing pieces. Sometimes the puzzle doesn't get fully done, right? And you've got to accept that because... You know, if I did get the chance to have uh, hundreds of people help me put together this 18,000-piece puzzle, it wasn't about whether it was complete. It was about whether or not we interacted and connected and da-da-da-da-da. So um, I don't know if that's that's wisdom or a, an analogy that just I understand, but um, it, it really helped me to solve some of that, you know, that internal, you know, angst and anger and, you know, regret and stuff that I've had about about you know things in the past. Well, I kind of want to circle back to something that you said a little earlier about um, you know being being someone who has a cancer diagnosis and recognizing that the people around you maybe don't know what to say. Um, and what I found is that oftentimes people will just not say anything because they don't have the right thing to say. And I feel like you're probably a great person to ask about this because you were able to connect with people who were at first strangers and to somehow say the right thing to get them to open up and share about what their experience was like. Um, and even go into some really deep personal things. And so I wonder if you have any advice for our listeners who might be in a situation where they don't know what to say. You know, the way you frame that question, Rachel, is really, really perfect because it made me think that part of the reason that I was able to do it was because I asked permission to ask them anything. Mm. Right? I go, I'm going to ask you things that's going to sometimes be invading your space, and it might be the wrong question to ask, and it might really touch a nerve, and it might be really emotional, or you might not want to go there with me. And do I have your permission to do that? Mm. Right? So I didn't think about framing the answer to my question because I get that question a lot. 
right? How did you, people open up to you? And I think it's because I, I asked permission. And so when you, and again, I, I'm sorry if I'm being assumptive. I, I don't want to assume what your experience was, but I'm assuming that uh, when you finally develop the courage or the nerve or the safe space to let somebody know what was happening with you, and then all of a sudden you didn't hear from them again, mm-hmm. it probably wasn't that you, you were contagious, right? <laughs> your cancer, it probably wasn't that, it might have been uh, that they were just afraid of saying the wrong thing, mm-hmm. right? Or, man, uh, they, they're, they got something great going on in their life and they want to talk to you about it, but they know they can't because you're not having a great experience at the time that they are and they don't want to bring you down. There's could be a million reasons why they don't want to say anything. And and it's some, sometimes it's very understandable. Sometimes it's very understandable. Maybe um, the people that are closest to you are so afraid of losing you that they don't want to talk about that because that they don't want to face that reality. I mean, there's a million things going on. But I think what I learned from the people that I spoke to was that there's only a couple of things they didn't want. Okay, They didn't want to hear, I'm sorry, because it wasn't their fault. Right, you don't have cancer. It's not their fault, so they can't get away from interacting with you by saying "I'm sorry," mm-hmm. because not you're not sorry. It's not you're not at fault. So stop saying you're sorry. Mm-hmm. They didn't want sympathy, like "Oh, I'm so. Oh, are you going to be okay? I mean, is everything all right?" They didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, empathy and sitting down and talking to them and and holding their hand is is, is a different thing. But just plain, plain old sympathy, right? Mm-hmm. And what they did want more than anything. It's just any type of, I don't care if you say the wrong thing. I don't care if you say the wrong thing a hundred times. At least you're trying. Mm-hmm. At least you at least you care. And, and I think that that was something that was really powerful for me to learn. And it was probably the biggest lesson that I learned throughout the book. And if I could give y- you and your listeners a story, it kind of ruins the ending. But I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Spoiler Is alert. Spoiler alert. When I, um, the very last day of the bike ride. So two days before the end of the bike ride, I had dinner with a bunch of friends. And one of the dudes, he, he asked me, he, he leans in, he goes, so more than anything, what have you learned? And I went home and, and back to the hotel with my wife. And I'm just like, I don't know what the hell, I don't know how to answer that. What's the most important thing I learned? I learned a ton, right? Every You understand the reality of, everybody's touched by cancer when you really face it right i mean a lot of trite sayings like that or whatever you really understand how people turn adversity into good things when you really understand and talk to them about it so there's a lot i learned but i I was like what's the one thing i learned more than anything it didn't hit me then the very last day of the bike ride i'm a little bit lost i gotta get over the bridge to new york city to uh, a central park where i'm gonna meet everybody that's waiting at my self-imposed finish line and I roll up on these two cyclists to ask them for directions. And one of them peels off. And the other one, I, I say to her, hey, I'm trying to get to wherever. And she says, oh, okay. And she sees this patch on my arm that says stupid cancer. And she's like, oh, are you doing some kind of a bike ride? And I go, yeah. And I briefly told her, you know, I'm a bike. I bike from Manhattan to, to and she goes, Manhattan Beach, California, Manhattan. I go, no, no, Manhattan Beach. I, I, this is it. I'm here. It's like 5,000 miles. And she's like, oh, my God, that's the greatest thing ever. She goes, oh, she goes, you know, my dad died of cancer four years ago. And then it hit me. 
before I had done that bike ride, before I embarked on this project, you know what I would have said? I would have said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. By the way, how do I get to so-and-so and so-and-so place? Because I'd want to get away from that interaction as quickly as possible. I don't know her. She doesn't know me. I don't want to say something stupid. I just want out, mm-hmm. right? And instead, it just hit me at that point. I went, oh my gosh. I go, were you guys close? And she said, oh my God, we were so close. And she went on to tell me this great story of even though her dad had a really severe diagnosis of cancer, that when he felt up for it, they would travel, they would take their bikes, they would go on bike rides, um, they, they, they biked around Europe in between chemo sessions, you know, like this, all this crazy stuff. And she goes, oh my God, he was such a, he was, it was so great. We got so much quality time by biking together. It was super great. And I go, man, thanks for sharing. She goes, oh, can I share another story with you? And I go, yeah, 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 tell me. And she goes, my dad had a really big sense of humor. And everybody used to make fun of him because he had all these goofy bike jerseys. And one of his bike jerseys was a bunch of ice cream cones on it. And she said, you know what? Just to give everybody a laugh, I'm going to ask you to bury me in my bicycle jer- a jersey. So when they did the viewing, right, he had his bike jersey on. Everybody was smiling and laughing. And she's like, oh, my God. Like, that was, like, mm-hmm. so my dad. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Thanks for listening. Here's how you get to wherever. <laughs> and I drove away. I flew, left, 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 and, you know, started pedaling again. And I said, I don't think I'll ever forget the story of the ice cream cones and the jersey. And I never, ever would have had the joy of that story and bonding with a complete stranger who I'll never see again and connecting with them on a kind of a meaningful level if I hadn't gone through this understanding that. You can't say the wrong thing. People love talking about their loved ones. They love talking about even difficult mm-hmm. times because you eventually get past the, the, the nastiness of it, whatever, and you can smile back. And just to know that people care, even if it's some stupid stranger that's just biking by, it's a really good feeling. And still, here I am, four, you know, four years or so past that bike ride, and I can picture myself talking to her and seeing the joy and, and the tears in her eyes as she was telling me about this ice cream cone jer- uh, jersey. And I'm just like, man... That's what it's all about. Just talk to people and connect with them in a real way. Mm-hmm. And um, so that that's the thing I learned the most. Mm-hmm. Well, with that in mind, um, would you tell us a little bit about your sister, June, and what you <laughs> loved about her and what it was like to be her brother? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she was a good... Let's start with the bad. She was flaky as hell. Oh my gosh, she was so flaky. Like she's the kind of person. It's like, yeah, let's see each other, and then we couldn't. She, but she, she was so happy. She was a wonderful person. Everybody that loved her, loved her. She was super sweet, very caring, very nice. We had both had, you know, everybody has a rough childhood. We had a rough childhood, and one of the things that I totally admired about her was that she didn't carry it around with her the way that I did, and she was able to find somebody to love her and and allow herself to be loved and allow herself to kind of like go ah that's into a little box and I'm kind of good with it and everything's fine and she didn't carry around any nonsense and any regret and any you know anger whatever she just lived her life happy she was a great role model for her kids um uh, I'll tell you um we both worked in the same field in finance at the time, and she worked for a company who um, I knew this company had a good reputation, but then uh, I found out after she passed away that 
because uh, we had a mutual work friend in common, um, uh, that that company didn't tell anybody, but they had uh, set up a, a self, they had funded a college uh, for her kids. Wow. And she didn't need the money. Her, her, they were they were going to be fine either way. But um, but how sweet of a gesture and uh, the, the fact that she impacted that company that much. I mean, who does that for? What company does that for? For a parent with you know married parent two incomes whatever they just wanted to do a gesture because they know how much she loved her kids. So I don't know. She was she was just a great sister, a great person, great mom, you know, great wife. I'm sure and. Uh, Sometimes bad things happen to good people, and yeah. you know if you can settle into that that reality. And one thing I'll tell you, and and um, this doesn't diminish the horribleness that sometimes come with cancer, but sometimes a cancer diagnosis that is gonna, if we're all gonna end up dying at some point, and you know it, but you got time to prepare for it. Sometimes it does allow you to bond. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it allows you to check some boxes off and make plans that you otherwise wouldn't have and she did that with a lot of grace so um yeah that that was june yeah i just feel thankful for how the beauty of her life and what she meant to you inspired you to do this thing that is bringing so much more beauty and just important wisdom into the world that i mean i'm walking away from this conversation today with a better idea of the questions I want to ask and the friend I want to be with anyone in my life who gets a cancer diagnosis. So I just, I see the Rachel, I'm stealing Rachel's um, line, but the ripple effects, mm-hmm. so the ripple effect of, of her life and your life. Um, and, and I feel just really grateful that we got to have this conversation. Um, so we want, of course we want people to pick up your book and, mm-hmm. and enjoy your book. Um, or maybe some of these other books that you've written. Can, where can people find you for information to find out more about you? To if you have social media, anything like that, that people could continue to connect with you. Sure. Th- thanks, Elizabeth. So across the 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 way in Florida to the other coast in Florida is the Moffitt Cancer Center. Yes. Uh, one of the Moffitt. Uh, one, uh, so Moffitt Cancer Center is one of eleven different organizations that are equally spending a hundred percent of the proceeds from the book. So each participant had an organization that they felt an affinity to and i promised them all that 100 percent of the net proceeds would go to support charity so any book however it's bought um, the proceeds go to charity my publisher is, is great with that um, i sell books directly too but they're sold on amazon the audible just came out which is awesome cool. i had mm-hmm. 15 different actors each read one one of the different chapters and then i read the the in between narrative and uh just the other day, I hadn't listened to the finished project, and just the other day, I was on a super long ride, a, a car ride, and I, um, I was able to listen to a couple of the of the stories, and like the waterworks were, I was just like, oh my god, these actors are so good. Like I knew the stories a little bit more, so so they were probably more personal to me. But holy cow! So uh, Audible, uh, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, a local bookstore, you know, my website, whatever. At least. Uh, the little good is uh, a little bit of money will go to support good organizations. The bigger good is possibly, if you read it, you get a little bit better understanding of what people have gone through or what they are going through so that you do know how to connect with them a little bit better when they're feeling isolated or when they're when they're feeling alone or uh, not able to talk about the things that are going through them. And so all you got to do is look up Cycle of Lives. 
and I'm on Facebook and have a website with a bunch of good stuff on it and books and all that good stuff. Awesome. Well, we'll link to that on our website and on our social media as well, our show notes. Um, and our, we always like to ask our guests if there's an organization or a cause that they want to point people towards. But it sounds like if people just go to your website, they can get connected with lots of organizations that are doing good. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, where'd you get taken care of, Rachel? Well, um, <laughs> it's interesting that you brought up Moffitt because I was in St. Petersburg, Florida when I was diagnosed. And so I was at Bayfront. Bayfront mm-hmm. Hospital over there, but I did get a second opinion at Moffitt, and they were the only ones that did look out for my fertility. So right, what I it's it's crazy. I mean, I don't know how many years ago that is, but it's it's not as prevalent today. But it's crazy how that was never an issue. And um, uh, interestingly enough, uh, Lee Moffitt, H. Lee Moffitt, the the namesake of the Moffitt Cancer Center, the one that brought this to the legislature and made it happen, he wrote the foreword to the book. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of the book participants were taken care of at Moffitt, and one of them works there now. Um, and I only got affiliated with Moffitt through cold calling. Wow. I, I called them up. I, I just called, cold called them up, and I said, hey, jeez, uh, you know any good stories? And they gave me a, a, a few stories and and, and – Two, two of those people ended up in the book. So Moffitt Cancer Center is a great organization. Um, the, all the money from the book and other things go into the Cycle of Lives nonprofit and then gets dispersed from there. So I would say just because all your listeners love Rachel, you should you should make a little donation to the Moffitt Cancer Center. Awesome. I love that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And thank you for your time today. Thank you for everything that you've done. Um, I can't wait to see what's next for you because I know you're probably always up to something. I am. <laughs> um, sometimes I'm even up to sometimes I'm up to good. I'm not always up to good. <laughs> Great. Well, we just really appreciate you. Um, thank you again. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And keep, like I said before we got on the air, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks for joining us. Now it's our turn to hear from you. So would you do us a big favor and go into your podcast app and rate us? Even better, would you write us a glowing review? That will help other listeners to find us. And make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. You can also visit our website at everydaythinplaces.com where you will find all sorts of fun and interesting information as well as learn about how you can help to support this podcast and earn special exclusive perks. There you will also find links to follow us on social media or else just pop directly over to Instagram or Facebook where you will find us at Everyday Thin Places. Thanks so much for joining us today. Until next time, I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Rachel. Bye. Bye.